Welcome everybody to the AJ Osborne Show, where we focus on our core tenets, impact, freedom, and progress. Join me and others as we grow through education and discussion. Welcome everybody to the AJ Osborne Podcast. And today is kind of a crazy day in the markets because the Dow tanked like a thousand points. It mounted a comeback. Um, but, you know, I started to, to think about it and I was like, this is probably going to be 2022 for us. And I want to talk about why. And I, you know, we covered some of the stuff when we're talking about inflation, but we're also, um, you know, trying to understand how you build in an unforeseen times, uh, especially when outlooks are just so fuzzy. Now, the important thing that you need to remember, and I, and I think when, when we're looking at all of this, um, you've probably heard me say this a lot, but we study, I pay attention and I understand micro, but we execute, uh, or excuse me, macro, but we execute micro. Um, this is a fundamental philosophy that I think is really, really important. And I can remember that, you know, when I got started in business in the early 2000s, macroeconomics was more of a voodoo type thing where people really just kind of act like it wasn't that important. Um, it's all, you know, it, it's just all up in the air. Nobody really knows how it's going to play out. Nobody knows what's going to happen. So it's it was so massively discounted, and and that that that's changed a lot in investors and business owners' mind. And I want to talk about a few reasons on why that's changed, what that means, um, and I think you know most of us it's fairly self-explanatory um, on why these things have become a big issue. Um, and then also how to not get carried away with it and how to keep executing this year, starting out at the first of the year. And I'm going to talk about principally that execution part. It's what I want to dive into. Uh, but to set the landscape of these changing times, these unknown period of times, it's important to realize that the separation from the traditional marketplace and the government um, has become so fuzzy that it's hard, they're indistinguishable, but also you're looking at our country since basically 2008 um, has been living on the government. Now, for me, it seems like 2008 was yesterday, um, but we have a huge portion now of the economy that has never really seen anything except massive QE, except government handouts, except bailouts, on and on and on. It's all they know. The printing press has just been nonstop. And I think there's confusion on what our economy looks like, not on the printing press. And by not on the printing press, I just mean not being held up by the government. Um, and the answer is not a lot of people know. The last time they weaned off as quick as they were starting to wean off, they were right back on. They never even fully got off past 2008 to move over into the COVID era. And this has created um, a lot more, I think, reaction based upon government policy. It has also created a lot more um, investments that um, are 
with the mind of the government's new mode of operation. Now, me being one. Okay, so we went big after 2008 into real estate because after what we saw with the bailouts, we said the government's not going to let this all fall apart. So we're hitting a bottom here and the government's just going to keep pumping money into this and it'll never stop. Then fast forward to COVID, right when the market started closing down and everything started tanking, falling like rocks, values started to drop. We said, well, we know how this plays out. The government's not going to let it happen. So we went and bought assets and sure enough, whatever it was, three months later, four months later, it was like the quickest downturn ever. Um, the government did just what a lot of investors, including us, thought it was going to do. Bell the economy out. This is called moral hazard. We talked a lot about this in 2007 and 2008. It was, if we do this, then there's this expectation that we will always do this. Now, the thing is, we understand that it can't obviously go on forever, but right now we don't know the way out of it, nor do investors. Markets don't. So things like inflation are so very scary because when you're looking at the way the government combats economic turmoil, they do it through their ability to manipulate the um, money pool. And that's by increasing it or, or, or lowering it, right? And we've seen them and how they play this out. And there's different tactics they use from QE to lows, lowering interest rates, you know, the buying of, uh, of bad debt to bailing out certain companies to there's, there's, they have some mode of operations, but when in today's environment, we're on the back of that already happening. So the government has now put so much money into the economy and interest rates are so low that if things go south, and they go bad, the question is, is what do they do now? How do they stop it? And if you have runaway inflation that can't be controlled and you're rising interest rates in an era that is totally dependent on the government's um, having low interest rate and all this capital in there, you're going to cause another crisis. So we're at this um, junction point. Like in 2010, it was very easy for us to say, we, we think we know where this is going simply from a standpoint that we were at that bottom kind of trough. They were lowering interest rates. They were doing the QE. They're bailing it out. It was like, okay, this is going to pick up. We'll see how long it takes. We didn't know any outcomes or anything else, but um, there was still things the government could do, and it was doing it. Right now, it's hard to say really what the government would do. I mean, we figured out in COVID that they're going to do a lot. They're just going to send people checks. They're going to um, it's, it's a totally different world after 2008 and after COVID and how the government works with the economy and what they're willing to do. None of this prior to 08 would have ever been imaginable. We, I mean, it, really, we couldn't imagine a time when the government would just take banks over. We couldn't imagine a time when they would just be sending people paychecks to stay home. That was you just couldn't imagine it, right? But the government's now doing anything that they can to keep this economy going and running. Now, what that's done is that has cre created astronomical differences between the haves and the have-nots. And a lot of people say, oh, well, they try to blame it on all these other things. Listen, the skyrocketing separation between the haves and have-nots, it's simple. It's government intervention. Why? All the government can do is it sends in money. It tries to lower that price of that dollar, which causes assets to rise. The haves own assets. The have-nots don't. And asset rising um, rises way faster than incomes because you're digging out of a hole, right? And income and these companies have to get solvent. They have to start producing more. But even more importantly, 
the reason people are investing has more to do with the falling dollar than it does actual fundamentals. So you get these huge, massive gaps where the haves are making more money than they've ever had because their stocks are rising simultaneously. And I love headlines when you see it like on CNBC. They're like, last year, the wealthy made X percent, right, increase in their wealth. Well, the increase in their wealth was exactly basically the same as the stock market rose. So anybody would have had that that simply owned stock. That's it, right? It's not like there's something else magical going on. They own assets. The government is supporting assets, trying not to let it fall. And two, most importantly, they own government-sanctioned assets, which is crazy we're even saying this, but it's true. They own big enough companies that the government says will let you survive. Now, during COVID, the big companies got to survive. All the little ones went under and the government wasn't going to protect them. In fact, the government shut those companies down. And so the government created a situation in the last 15, 20 years that the wealthy had just got so astronomical. Not only did they um, get the rising asset prices, but they also got the shedding and destroying of businesses through 2008 and through COVID, which the government didn't bail out. They didn't back. And in COVID, they actually forced to shut down. So that means these companies took on market share and they continued to consolidate and they continued to grow. Now we have these huge companies that are worth tons of money. Um, assets have all increased dramatically due to government uh, um, stimulus and everything rising. Though We're now at a place where all this money is now catching up with us and we're starting to see inflation as well as a whole bunch of other problems. And the government's outlook on how they move forward is really unclear. We have social unrest due to a lot of these things, which there's there's call for raising taxes on the ultra wealthy, which when it really comes down to it, taxes only ever rise on the middle class. That's a whole nother subject. I think we talked about it on another podcast. It's just a process of economics. And especially in today's age where the world is flat, there's a billion to trillion ways that 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 just doesn't happen. It's not how the economics of it work. I'm not going to get into that right now. You can go listen to the other podcast. I'll talk about it more in a later one. But we have to be realistic on the outlook and what's happening within the United States. Um, this realistic outlook has served us very well. It has benefited up uh, benefited us. Um, we tried to get into really low regulated asset classes, um, which benefited us through COVID. And uh, um, we tried to get into something that was simple, but had good long-term economics. More importantly, though, that we could affect in the short term. So I, I've, I've briefly talked about the economic landscape, why people are concerned right? On a macro level, how the government's entrenched now with day-to-day -day everything. So the government saying anything will tank markets or make markets. Um, and the Fed is really running the show. So what does that mean for all of us um, and how we work? Well, first of all, I think it's really important for us to all look at and understand the landscape and condition in which the government can affect your wealth and income, which is something that I really, really uh, am sensitive to, mainly because of my insurance days when Obama came around and what that did through the insurance industry. And I saw the effects of it. I wanted to get out of an industry that was very government regulated. But at the same time, I don't want to just be some investor that's waiting for the Fed to make a noise and my income and wealth go down or up. Um, that's not how you build wealth. That's how you pray and hope you will eventually get rich, which is not something 
we do. So it really comes down on the micro level economics and how it's working within our new landscape and in our new world, the effects of the internet, how people are living. Um, all of these things need to be taken into account and they need to be looked at through your investing style. You look at, I don't know if you saw on my Instagram, but I posted, um, what was it? Uh, yesterday, I think it was, <laughs> but the California literally ran out of U-Hauls, um, leaving California. The entire state ran out. They had no more U-Hauls for because of people leaving the state. Um, we talk about migratory patterns a lot because this stuff really matters when you're a small investor. And when you look at the overall even out landscape, right, of different investing styles, and I mentioned this in my podcast last week, well, what we do is we find spread in the micro, but we look at the macro benefit of the future. Doing that, we picked markets that had decent growth trajectory, but were overlooked by the big ones um, that we had even higher trajectory on our ability to turn around underperforming assets in those areas. So we were thinking second tier growth markets is where we were looking. Well, what that led to is that led to us having a cash on cash return of 471% or whatever the numbers were that I talked about, um, and us building the portfolio that we have today, which is over 200 million. Because although self-storage as a whole produced X amount of return over those same years, um, we got the return on the turnaround of the individual facilities we were have on the backs of major mar migratory patterns in markets that we knew would uh, grow at an outpacing size of the rest of the United States. So those two things way over exaggerated our total returns. It completely bloated our portfolio and everything and um, was basically jet fuel to us as as we went um, went through this. So the, I, the purpose, though, in the thought process was, yes, you can get lifted up by markets, but the real difference is uh, the difference that you can make. So th the difference in our total returns was what we measured on the ground and what we measured as far as the right location and how to do it. Uh, that was the big difference in our total returns and not to mention our compounding rate of refinancing and buying more and how that all worked during that exact same press process, which we don't look at. We haven't calculated, you know, really that out. Um, and when you talk about this execution process, identification, there's a whole area that I want to talk on. So a lot of you may know I'm writing a, a book on my impact corner, um, and it's really our OS, our operating system for our businesses, how we run and what I've put together. And a large part of this talks about, you know, you have your regular goal setting stuff, but it, it talks about identifying, measuring, and then how we make changes and how we move forward within the business. It starts personal and it grows. And um, I've been looking at part of this thing that part of the process that we go through, it, it's in phase two. Um, my phase two process that our business model goes through is categorizing and executing. Um, and the really important thing that we look at when I'm doing our categorization, I'm looking at category uh, categorizing things that we do in the business based upon purpose. Then what we're doing is we're measuring those things, we're highlighting them, we're identifying based upon impactfulness, based upon time, capital, and strengths that we have applied to those things to create that general outcome. And uh, what we do is we audit, we list out all those things, and then I'm looking at every one of those activities 
and finding where we should pull back and where we should put more resources. Now, when you're starting out, the reason why I talk about this is because just like finding good markets and the very best assets, that has a much wider um, effect on your future potential as far as total amount and overall growth. The limited resources that you have, you have to use really, really good um, and you need to outpace. So when you're starting out, um, the resources that you have are much more precious and you need to be able to identify and measure how you're using them and rework that constantly. Um, I can give you just even some simple examples. Like we will take, okay, I'm trying to get investors. Well, what are all the activities that we do to get investors. We have social, we have webinars, we have podcasting, emails, calls, YouTube, all these different kind of things, right? And we would take all those activities that you may be doing on general weeks, we'd outline them and say, how much impact does that have on our actual net goal of attracting investors who we're trying to attack, track? And the use of the resources that we have we may not want to use it in all of those things. I, I remember when I started out, I had social, I had blogs, I had speaking, I had all these other kind of things of which I went and I audited and I looked at which was the most impactful, um, required the least amount of time, the least amount of capital, and which lent to my strength. Through there, I got rid of about 30% of those activities and I doubled down on those ones that were doing even better. Well, this is the same as the investing process that we go through. Which assets have the biggest impact? Which ones do we have the most impact on, right? So this categorizing and executing through the, uh, uh, to use your limited resources properly is really key when starting out. You, you are on the back of the United States as a whole growing. Anyone that's investing in the United States is expecting the United States to grow. Um, if you're investing, you obviously expect that. And uh, if you're investing and say you don't expect that, well, then you're doing one thing and talking about that doesn't make sense at all. Um, so we all expect the United States to keep growing and we expect things to change. But over the long term, we expect it to grow at a certain rate. Okay, well, are your assets or your investments going to ask uh, outpace that rate of growth? Do you need it to by how much or how little, how much control do you have over that investment and what do you need to do? Right? So this is kind of that middle ground and where you look at it, you know, are you be held to the stock market and that's your only plan? Stock market goes up. I make more money. Do you want to get more in depth and under and find underlying stocks that you can apply to, right? And that you can actually, um, buy and you think will outpace the overall growth, right? That's a strategy. Um, Warren Buffett, he wants to find ones that will outpace the growth, but he also wants control over them. So he buys them all. He direct invests. Well, that's how I feel about the um, real estate market. We believed that there was a valuation problem and in 2010, so we doubled down into real estate. But we also believed that picking a certain type of asset class in a certain type of location, we could much or we could get much greater returns than the overall market, which would allow us to compound our capital into that strategy, exaggerate the returns even more. This was really important to me because my goals, where I wanted to get, how I wanted to get to them, it needed to happen much faster than was previously expected. And you could see this in all sorts. I, I'll tell you, if your only goal is simply to retire, right, and have, um, uh, a good retirement, this is really easy. Just go buy a fourplex and then uh, put it on a, you know, 
15 year note, have it all paid off at the end of 15 years. You have four, four, uh, four plexes that in 15 years will pay you $3,000 a unit or whatnot. And there you go, your retirement. It's paid off, it's done. I knew I could have done that. There's simple real estate investing strategies that can basically guarantee an outcome. I wanted to shorten that by a million times and I wanted to go way, way bigger. So then I needed to pick a strategy which gave me more effect and impact on those assets to exaggerate the overall returns um, that would outpace the rest of the market's returns. This is the game we're playing, right? So when you're looking at the overall market, things are going up and down. We don't time markets. I buy when they're down, sideways, and up, right? And the reason why we do that and why we can do that is because our strategy gets us the return that we want on the individual asset. So that means I'm turning it around and I'm increasing revenues and I have control over that. So it's not just simply a market timing game. We're doing things to improve that'll keep us going. And I don't know when the market's going to go up. I don't know when it's going to go down, when it's going to go sideways. I know in the long term, it will grow. It will not probably grow nearly as much as it's grown in the last five, six years. We do not expect that, which causes us to also change different strategies. We got to look at certain assets. We got to say, well, where can we get more yield? That changes markets that we look at. That there, you know, this is a moving, ongoing thing as we're trying to get our return and yield uh, from our investment strategy. So that changes the type of assets, where we're buying, how we're buying them, um, where we put internal resources into the business. Okay, now I got to allocate more to get off market deals because prices are so expensive. So now we have a call center going and we're hiring more salespeople, right? So we're adjusting as those things uh, need to be adjusted so we can continue outperforming and growing at the rate that we want to. The key is when you look at what you're doing, okay, remember this auditing and categorizing based upon purpose, pulling out the things that you're doing on a day-to-day, categorizing them and saying, what was the purpose of those activities? Then, and then looking down and breaking down those things on all those activities, what is the yield you're getting at in your business, your investing strategy from them? Where should you allocate those resources internally to get you the most? This is this can be, especially when you're starting out, I'm talking about time, right? So time was very important to me and it's very important to me now. So a lot of my things are allocated based upon that. This also depends on need. It has to happen, right? Or if it's, if I'm good at it or not. Now through that process, I outline things that I'm like, Hey, I'm good at this. This is very important. Limited time, little capital capital. Let's expand it. Let's keep going. But there was other things that were like, this is very impactful. This is super time consuming and it's not one of my strengths. Right? So maybe I had to hire that out, right? Maybe I had to contract that out or bring somebody in. Um, this is a process that I go through, um, within my system that we, I outline and in the books rolling out literally in like three months. So you're all going to get it and get to see and do, do a whole walkthrough, um, through the whole, the whole process. But it's talking, what we look at is you're looking at getting yield off activities, even with limited resources and trying to speed up your overall growth pattern in comparison to either your investing strategy, the United States growth, asset growth, or just personally what you're trying to beat and the goals that you need to make. And this starts really, really small. And you've got to get really good at making sure that 
when you're starting out, especially the things that you're doing are making a really, really big impact because you got to move that needle. You've got to have these things moving forward. If not, um, you're going to start to get into trouble, right? And you're or not in trouble, excuse me. You're going to start getting frustrated and you're going to get down on yourself because you don't feel that you're moving anywhere where what you're measuring is probably much too big of an indicator to really tell anything. Um, Focus on smaller indicators and try to get much higher growth rates out of those smaller indicators, calls, emails, right? Things like that, that are very much within your control, regardless of what the marketplace is doing, the outlook or anything else. Those small indicators, the higher Um, yield you can get out of those, the better you're at those, it'll outpace your yield on your overall strategy. And it will also allow you to find good opportunities in unknown or scary times even, or bad times, um, because you're not focusing on that. And that's not stopping um, what you're trying to do, achieve and measuring and improving on that. So that is my podcast. I hope that makes sense. And I, you know, it would really, I say that's my podcast, but we, when we get through and we outline these things, right. Um, and I'm, I'm looking at tracking and analyzing these things and come back. Uh, if you, when you're by yourself, this can seem, um, a little daunting. I would suggest you guys getting either an investment investing partner or getting someone that can help you really work through. This is one of the reasons why we started the CRE circle. It's our, our, our group, which we have like 200 people in, um, and they have their own, um, their accountability circles that they're actually put in. Well, the reason why we do that is because of the system and things that we're talking about here to help you get keep accountable, to help you move forward and to say, this is what's working, this is what's not working for me and adjust. I have that, everybody needs that. We need to be able to be very um, active with the small amount of resources that we have. Even when you get big, that's still important. And the better you build a system and a base off of extracting value extracting value out of limited resources, the higher and bigger that your returns in everything will get. All right, everybody. I hope this uh, was helpful for you guys. I love this whole process. The book's coming out soon, which is going to uh, hold a, n- a whole bunch of other stuff on our overall um, operating system, our business model that we use that I think you guys are going to find really helpful. I'll continue talking about the podcast and explain as well. All right, everybody. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks.